there are over a hundred triggers that can impact your weight gain. Now, some of those are uncontrollable, like where you're born, how you were born, those things you can't really control. If you had trauma as a child, that impacts your risk of gaining weight. So those are things you can't control, but being aware of them helps you to know what your risk factors may be. Hey, 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 welcome to The Hope Binge Show. This is the podcast that explores the power of holistic wellness and empower you with the tools and resources to become the best version of yourself. We use the wellness model that includes spirituality, mental health, physical health, financial well-being, relationship, occupational wellness, leisure, and fun. How does all these things come together to make us who we are? And how can we live a balanced life? I'm your host, Mildred Dix, and I'm excited to be on this life journey with you. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Whole Bean Show. I hope you took away something from the previous episode. But today, our guest is somebody who is a champion for obesity prevention, especially within the minority community. Dr. Bully is somebody who brings the medical perspective as well as the cultural aspect. And just from her own personal journey, she is really, really relatable. So I hope you guys take away something from the episode to improve, empower you to live a whole and balanced life. Now, Dr. Bully has a tradition for the show. When I say Dr. Savior Bully, I want you to tell the audience, who are you? Who is Dr. Bully? All right. Well, good morning. Oh, well, good afternoon. Who knows what time you're watching this, but I am Dr. Sylvia Bowley and I am a first and foremost, I know we usually start with credentials and everything, but honestly, I'm a child of God. I am a daughter. I am a wife. I am a mother. I'm a sister. I'm a friend and I'm a food lover. Okay. So (laughs) I'm an international food lover. I love all types of food. I don't discriminate. And I think all of that informs what I do as a dual board certified obesity specialist, a mindset coach, a best selling author, and a speaker and teacher. So I really try to incorporate not, I practice from a very integrative, so body, mind, spirit perspective. And then my approach through the company that I founded, Embrace You Weight and Wellness, is that we focus on the level of the individual. So what is it that makes you unique? Because two people could be doing the exact same thing and have very different results. So we really hone in on what is it that that person uniquely needs to help them get the best results on their weight loss journey and on their overall wellness and well-being journey. So that is who I am and that's what I do. Well, I'm so glad that you are on the show. It means a lot. Oh, well, it's good. I'm happy to support you. I'm proud of what you're doing. And I love the title and the concept, the whole being, right? Because we're not just a health being, right? We're not just a spiritual being and we're not just an emotional being. We are a whole person. And so everything needs to be integrated together. 
Absolutely. So I know you're a primary care doctor, right? Well, I practiced primary care for about nine years and now I'm fully obesity medicine. So all that I do is I I partner with primary care doctors, but people would come to see me through their primary care doctor or on their own. And I would focus exclusively on the disease of obesity or on their excess body fat, metabolic health and help them get better that way. So what make you make uh, made the transition from being a primary care to uh, being an obese? Sure. Person? It happened for me kind of organically because I went through my own weight loss journey when I had my son. So like I told y'all already, I love food. OK, so <laughs> <laughs> and I had the metabolism to keep up with that. You know, you know, those people who can like eat anything they want and never gain weight. Oh, yeah, you're one of them. I can tell. Mm-hmm, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so they're those people. Yes. And I was one of those people. Like I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm, I'm first generation Liberian American. Both of my parents are Liberian. They actually owned a restaurant growing up. Lots of delicious food. So we would make both cassava leaf, pabarito, like all the West African Liberian stuff. But then we'd also make the fried chicken, the mac and cheese, the wings and the growing up in the South. So we ate a lot to celebrate, to mourn. You know, it's a big part of the culture. And so I would go between periods of overeating, but then undereating or dieting, because then I was also, my grandmother had diabetes and then she had several complications from that. So she had hypertension. She had a massive stroke that left her bedridden the rest of her life. And of course, all the doctors blamed this on her weight. So it was, I was like growing up in two polar opposites. I could either overeat and then undereat when you got scared that you're going to gain weight. So anyhow, I continued this cycle pretty much till I had my first child. And when I had that little bugger, I gained 60 pounds with that pregnancy because for our family, pregnancy is a big weight gain trigger or obesity trigger. And once I had him, I actually had a difficult time losing the weight, even like when I was trying to diet or do at that point, I was already a doctor. So trying to do what we learned in med school. And I realized everything we learned about weight and obesity, about body fat was wrong. And so it was, Mm. yeah, because obesity did not become a disease until 2013. But I graduated from med school in 2010. So we had, and and many doctors still don't know a lot about obesity, which is why they will say things like eat less, move more, or calories in, Mm -hmm. calories Mm -hmm. out. All you have to do. And first of all, let me just tell the audience, if someone says all you have to do, you need to be running out the door because they don't get it. Like, I'm serious. They don't get it because, because, you know, if it was all you had to do, then everyone would be, Mm -hmm. it would be much easier. We wouldn't have four out of five black women overweight or having obesity, like it wouldn't be. So there's a lot more to it. And that's what I learned the hard way. So I, at that time, I was already practicing primary care. And once I learned the science of obesity medicine, then I realized, and this was going on my own real weight loss journey, not just a diet journey. Like I was actually doing the things that you need to do to lose weight the healthy way and keep it off. I realized obesity and weight-related disease is at 
the forefront of everything I was doing in primary care. And if I could really give people individualized tools based on actual effective science, then I could help a lot more of the diseases that I was treating, because if not, I was just treating symptoms of the obesity. There's over 200 diseases associated with obesity. So if I could treat the underlying cause and at least help people lose at least 5% of that extra body fat, then I was going to be able to really get their other diseases in control. So through a gradual process, and it was eventually, it was August, 2020, while working on the COVID-19 front lines, I launched my business, Embrace You Weight and Wellness, and then I went full-time with it in January 2021. That's really great. So I'm listening to you and, you know, growing up in Liberia, obesity, overweight wasn't really a thing, right? Actually, mm-hmm. at one point, it was a fashion. People were taking <laughs> pills to actually get bigger. So what is obesity? And, you know, what's the difference between um, thick, right? Like we like to say in our community, I'm thick versus you actually being overweight or obese. It's so true. Okay. Mildred, can I tell you a funny story though? Because, sure. you know, I'm, this is where it comes from being first generation and like being in between cultures, right? So when I first got married, you know, you get a little of that extra love weight or whatever. <laughs> so then when I would go around like our Liberian like family or friends, they'd be like, you get it fat. And they would like <laughs> slap me. <laughs> In, in, in my American, like, girl mind, the American uh-huh. side of me, it's like, oh, no, she didn't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I think you raise a good point. Like, culture really matters. And I would say that whether you're like being like, this is the thing we see even with Black women. Like, thickness is celebrated in our culture and in our community. And I do want to say that's the hard part that I have in doing this work is because if we only make it about weight and if we only make it about looks, we're going to miss the opportunity to help a lot of people, whether they have a larger body or a thicker body or a smaller body. Because at the end of the day, I think to answer your question, what's the difference between being thick and having an actual medical condition of obesity? There's two ways you could answer it, right? I could get into all the science and we can talk about the measurements and things like that. Yes, we should talk about that. But I want to say very simply, as an individual, you need to ask yourself, am I living a healthy lifestyle or not? You know what I'm saying? Like whether you are technically that person who's really thin or skinny, so to speak, but you're eating all kind of junk. (laughs) <laughs> like you're and you're not <laughs> sleeping, you're stressing, you're over, you're not drinking enough water, all of that, or you're a thicker person, but you're exercising regularly, you're eating the right kind of foods, things like that, that is going to determine your health, right, at a better level. So I think the answer is to really say, well, what kind of lifestyle am I leading and what am I eating and doing? So that is like my touchy-feely philosophic answer, but I know people like nitty-gritty hard answers. So from a medical perspective, right, a difference for us would be your risk of disease. It doesn't even have to do with how you look per se. So do you have a body fat percentage that's greater than 32% if you're a woman? or greater than 25% if you're a man, 
is where is that fat? So how much fat do you have and where is the fat? Is it mostly in your belly? Because that is what we call hard fat. And that being around your organs is going to put you at risk for diseases like heart disease, insulin resistance, things like that. Interestingly enough, for Black women, a lot of us carry more of it around our hips and our butt. And actually, that's not associated with higher risk of disease. So it's so where the fat is, how much fat you have. And then there's something very controversial called the body mass index or the BMI. And so by most standards, the standard regular BMI is cut off is 30. And that's just and for people who don't know, your body mass index is your weight divided by your height in meters squared. So your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. And it's a population-based tool where we look at it to see at this level, you're at higher risk of disease. So 30 is the standard, but there's newer data coming out showing that actually for Black women, that may be wrong. And we may actually need a higher threshold. So some, depending on what your risk factors are, depending on your age, things like that, it may be as high as 33, the cutoff for Black women. So this is, again, just raising the point why it's really important to look at the individual, the person, rather than just saying, okay, well, everyone needs to weigh this or everyone needs to do that because it really does depend on what all is going on in your life and your specific risk factors. So you brought up a point earlier and I don't want to focus on statistics and everything, but I just want to, you know, the audience to sort of keep that in mind. You said four out of every five black women um, are at an overweight or obese. You know, recently Mm -hmm. as I was doing research and I came across that statistic and I immediately called my system like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So like how prevalent is this in among the black and Latino community? Well, you just hit the nail on the head. So that's the most recent um, Center for Disease Control data here in the United States, that it is 57% of Black women classify as having obesity if we use a body mass index cutoff of 30. And if we're using overweight is when your body mass index is over 25, so between 25 to 29.9. And so based on that criteria, four out of five Black women classify for that. So this is why, again, you asked, why did I switch to obesity from primary care? Because especially as a Black woman who has lived in a larger body, who has experienced it, like we really need to be talking about this more and not just focusing like to your point on the statistics, because I feel like what happens even in the healthcare system, because there's so much bias, right? There's so much racism, there's so much bias, is that when we say these statistics, what it gets internalized is, oh, Black women are overweight and have obesity and they want to be that way. Like, and Mm. then we're not getting the treatment or access to the tools that we need to change these statistics. That's why. So I think, yes, we need to talk about the statistics, but then the question is, then what's the solution? What can we create? What can we innovate to help change it? Because clearly what we're doing isn't the most effective tool for Black women. It's not just intrinsic to us. And then it does go back to my point about how we measure 
right? Because the next step is now that we know that, okay, there's some studies to suggest that the body mass index scale should be different for Black women, then if we were to change the scale, would we actually have the highest percentage or would it be more on par with other ethnicities, so to speak? Right. That's a good point. So, you know, we're talking about obesity. How does it really affect your health, like your overall health and well-being? And why should we even be addressing it in the first place? Yeah. Thank you so much, Mildred, for answering that question. Because again, back to the cultural context, right? I could just hear one of my aunties, somebody by his say, you can't, nobody want to be dry, <laughs> right? <laughs> that <laughs> is so true. Yeah. <laughs> You can't move right here. Nobody will be dry. Look at you. Yeah, I know. You my, mom, my mom said the neck when she comes around and um, I'm not looking, you know, the way she normally would like me to look. She would say to me and my sister, I can see your neck. Why do I see a collarbone? You know, just stuff like that. <laughs> and I mean, let's give the, the previous generation, let's give them credit, though, because right. honestly, weight loss is not natural for the body. Mm-hmm. It's not natural, which is part of why it's so hard to lose weight. And before we had all our fancy tools and our, um, you know, biomedian scale, blah, blah, blah. Like the way they could tell somebody was sick was they're losing weight. Right. right so it's right. a key indicator. So to that point. But the reason why now it makes a difference, a lot of what our body needed historically, ancestrally, you know, we don't need that now. Basically, we need some body fat because body fat is good for hormonal regulation, is good for energy storage, is good for protection of the organs. But when we have too much of it, what happens in simple terms is it causes inflammation and disruption throughout the body. And so it's going to be sending out these signals that damages our body's blood vessels. So it can put you at risk for heart disease, can put you at risk for diabetes, can put you even at risk for over 11 cancers. So it's more than just a cosmetic thing. It's because there's so many other conditions that are associated, like I said, over 200. So strokes are another, go up. So basically pretty much anything you can think of because the body fat, and I don't know if we'll be doing a video with this, but the body fat is not just sitting there like people used to think it was sitting there, but it's actually chemically and hormonally active. So it is sending out signals that disrupt other parts of the body as well. Wow. So how does it affect your mental health? Because I know we don't really talk about mental health. You know, mental health in our community is sort of like a new mm-hmm. thing that we are catching up to. But how does obesity plays into our mental health? I love that question because, again, that's, you know, as an integrative practitioner, um, doing body, mind, spirit, mental health is a key thing that I scream for. And so this, with obesity is a bit of a complicated, like I said, biologically, I talked about some of the hormones that are being sent out, like interleukin-6, neurokinase. Like, so there's hormones that are being sent out that are actually affecting the brain chemistry, right? But then it's a chicken and the egg because once, and especially in this kind of society, when you live in a, or like Western society, I should say, in a larger body, you experience even more discrimination, 
we talked about it, especially in Black women. So those experiences of feeling as other, feeling discriminated or biased against can also lead to feelings of lower self-esteem, can be associated with depression, can be associated with social anxiety, and then, of course, disordered eating. So where I consider dieting a form of disordered eating because starving oneself right. <laughs> to try to get there, right? Like, it doesn't right. make sense, right? Like, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's a form of it as well. Wow. So how does somebody listening to you saying, um, I want to make that lifestyle change, you know, I want to improve my overall health, not just my uh, my weight, but I mm-hmm. really do want to improve my overall health. What are some things they can do for uh, prevention? Absolutely. So, I will answer that, Mildred, but I also want to say that losing weight will help improve the overall health, and especially if it's done in a positive way, right? We talk a lot of times people put like body positivity on the opposite end of weight loss. And I'm a little bit different because I firmly believe they should be done together, regardless of your size loving your body, loving who you are, embracing you is the foundation to making a positive change. Contentment isn't complacency. It's not complacency. So you can be content in who you are, but still want to optimize it. So I think that's the first thing that I would say is that if someone wants to make that change for their overall well-being, it really does start with stopping being negative to yourself the self negative self-talk, the I hate my body, how could I let this happen to me, all of that, because that's where I was eight years ago when I had to lose that 60 pounds. I had 40 of it actually on for about two years after I had my baby. So when I had to lose that, it was very negative. And honestly, being a spiritual person, I'm a God girl, God was like, I'm not going to let you make a positive change with a negative mindset. So I say, start with a positive mindset, focus on what do you love about yourself at that moment, and then use that as your feel for where you want to be and where you want to get better. Then the next thing I would tell is to release the perfectionism. A lot of times we go from one extreme to the next extreme. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm eating, <laughs> I'm eating yeah. food and soup every mm-hmm. night or eating mm-hmm. fried ch- food every day. And then I'm going to just eating salad. Like the body doesn't like extremes, right? So start with small changes. So what is something small you could do? So for instance, for me, I was a big emotional eater, stress eater, and work was a huge trigger for me. So at 3 p.m. every day after seeing a lot of patients, again, I was in a very busy primary care practice, I would be eating like candy. It was like, my Mm -hmm. brain would be like, 3 p.m., I'm tired, sugar, I need sugar, 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 sugar. So I would go to the break room. And let me tell you about working in a health system. You would expect us to have carrots and healthy things in the break room. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. We always had cake. We had donuts. We had, you know, yes. whatever yeah. candy bowl. Like that would be mm-hmm. the stuff that was there. So what I had to do initially, the small change that I made in that context was number one, the awareness, recognize, okay, 3 p.m. every day, I'm tired. I'm stressed. I need a pick me up. So what I'm going to do is swap that candy whatever high sugar, processed sugar, and I'm going to have a fruit instead at 3 p.m. 
And so I switched to having a fruit. And then I learned more about the mood foods. So there are certain foods that can really boost your mood. Those are berries. They're high in antioxidants and things. So they're berries. I started learning about more about protein balance. So adding more protein to my lunch, things like that, adding more fiber. And so I ch- then I went to that. And then finally, I was at a place where I was like, you know, I'm not really hungry. I'm stressed. So what can I do to reduce my stress at 3 p.m.? But that was a gradual process. So I say, be patient and give yourself small changes over time and make those substitutions, some healthier substitutions is what I would say for someone starting. But what I do want to say, and I would be remiss as an obesity specialist, I didn't say that. For most people, lifestyle changes are only going to lead to two to five percent of body weight loss. So that's to say, yeah, (laughs) I see your face. So that's to say, you know, if someone is, let's say, let me make it easy for myself, 200 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to lose and they want to lose 20 pounds. 20 pounds is 10% of their body weight. So usually just making the kind of lifestyle changes the way I described, that's only going to cause them to lose about five to 10 pounds. So there will need to be something more done. Now, that being said, again, I've lost 40 pounds with lifestyle changes, but I consider what I did, not just changes, it was lifestyle transformation. Like I pulled a whole Beyonce break my soul. Like I released my job, released (laughs) everything that was stressing me down, right? But most people are not going to do that to create those changes because it's extreme. Like I can go today at, you know, not any time, but, and go for a run if I need to. I couldn't, if I was still working the old job I had when I had, was carrying the extra weight, there's no way I could have done that, you know, but so I've made drastic changes. And so if you're not at that place, then you're going to need other tools and other tools may be what we call prescriptive nutrition interventions. So those are like specially formatted, formulated, like protein shakes, an eating plan. Notice I didn't say a diet, but an eating mm-hmm. plan to get mm-hmm. you to your goal. Maybe some supplements. Now, those are not FDA approved. So you really have to work with someone who knows what they're doing. And then it then it could be the medications. And I know it's all the hotness now. People are taking these medications, but, and then of course, having you know, some other lifestyle interventions and then even bariatric surgery for people who have like 30 to 40% of their body weight to lose. Oh, that's really great. I want to go back a little bit. You said something about, you know, being stressed because a lot of times, sometimes when we think Mm -hmm. about people being obese or overweight, we focus on the junk food part, but we don't focus on the why. Right. Like in your situation, Mm -hmm. uh, it was the stress from work that was contributing to that. So what are some other things, you know, that actually impact our weight gain? Yeah. So again, I talk about it in my book and I hope you'll have that in the show notes. But um, there are over a hundred 
triggers that can impact your weight gain. Now, some of those are uncontrollable, like where you're born, how you were born, those things you can't really control. If you had trauma as a child, that impacts your risk of gaining weight. So those are things you can't control, but being aware of them helps you to know what your risk factors may be. So other things that um, can cause, so we talked about stress, we talked about any sort of major life trend and be, because stress is such a big one, any sort of major life transition you have is a big one. Hormonal disruption. So for women, I talk about like the five P's. So puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopausal, postmenopausal, like and PCOS. So that's six. So those will all be triggers for weight gain as well. Again, depression, anxiety, if you have sleep disruption, oh my goodness, sleep is a key one. So that, and that's another chicken and the egg, right? Because as your weight increases your or your body mass index, if you're using that, it puts you at higher risk for something called obstructive sleep apnea. And when you have obstructive sleep apnea and you don't get a good night's rest or you're not getting that deep sleep, all your body's weight regulating hormones are reset when you get deep sleep or REM sleep. So that's the other reason why you may have more cravings when you don't sleep well. I tell people that all the time because people are like, oh, you know, they like calling foods good or bad. Like I'm like, even I don't think about food as good or bad. I think about is it helpful or unhelpful? Because for instance, like broccoli, eating that at 11 p.m. for me is very unhelpful. And could be considered a bad food. And I'll tell you why, because it's going to give me a lot of gas. It's going to disrupt my sleep. And then the next day I'm going to have lots of sugar cravings and be very stressed. So when you know those things about yourself, then you can address the triggers appropriately. So before we go forward, you just mentioned a point about knowing your body, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the first place to start is knowing your body, because not a lot of time we pay attention to what the signals our bodies are given. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I know when I'm stressed, that's one mm-hmm. of the things I started to learn and write down when I'm stressed, I have a headache between mm-hmm. my brows. That's mm-hmm. how I know I'm stressed. So it, it sounds like the first place to start will actually, you know, dial back and start asking some of these questions, asking the why, you know, what mm-hmm. happens and the why, uh, 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 why am I doing this or why, you know, asking those questions. Absolutely. That's foundational. That's like a key principle in Embrace You. I will honestly say, I think, again, I will still say, I think it's the second step, like it it goes through it, because when you're not kind to yourself, what's going to happen, you're going to call it an excuse. Instead of saying, this is how I am and just embracing it and then using it as data to make better decisions. What I notice and what I see with patients is people will say, oh, I'm just making excuses. You know, this is just an excuse. So you're right. The growth is that you get to the place that you say, oh, these, this is what my body's telling me. And let me explore this and understand 
why that is instead of judging it with shame or guilt. That's why I still think that like self-love and releasing that perfectionism is key to that because that's going to allow you to collect those whys and that information about yourself. And I love how you think. I want everybody to think that way because unfortunately what happens, and again, I've been in this space, you know, I've been an obesity specialist. I boarded in 2016, but doing Embrace You, this kind of unique integrative in individualized approach since 2021. And I will admit, I was very idealistic when I started. I was like, this is amazing. Everyone's going to want to do this. But it's hard because we've been trained. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's hard. If you work with me, I'll make it easy for you. I'm not telling people that it's hard. It's it's easy when you work with someone. But Mm -hmm. let me tell you why I say that. It's because people have been trained to focus on what and ignore why. And what you said is very important. We have to get back to wanting to explore our why and not ignoring it. That is so good. So as a registered nurse, you know, at the bedside, one of the things that I really, um, when I was at the bedside, struggled with was giving my African-American, my Latino patient, the proper tools and resources, right? So when you go out there and tell people to make some of these lifestyle changes, mm-hmm. there are a whole lot of, you know, apps and everything around uh, European style. Mm-hmm. Right. But a lot of times black people go ahead and try to make these lifestyle changes, but it's not sustainable because, well, that's not what I eat on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You're telling me in order to be healthy, I have to give up my cultural heritage, you know, to be able to do that. And that's one of the concepts that I'm really trying to, you know, drill down and Letting people know that you don't necessarily have to give up your cultural heritage. There's some moderation and substitute that you can do and actually still eat a lot of the foods, you know, in your culture, but still, you know, be healthier the way you want. So can you talk about that a little more? Oh, yeah. I'm so happy you said that because actually, so I'm on the board of Obesity Medicine Association and I'm on the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee. And this has been one of our missions for about two years now to create some culturally appropriate healthy eating guides. And so hopefully by the time this airs or you show, we actually will have, we're working on the West African one. I've actually just reviewed that one. We already have a Caribbean guideline out, a guide out. So these are free accessible resources on the website, the Obesity Medicine Association website. I'll be sure to give you the link that people can use because I agree with you. Again, I told you, that's why I started this by saying, I love food, okay? Like, because (laughs) because I don't, one of the things that I realized that was a huge barrier, two of the biggest barriers that prevent people, I would say, from making a life change style change are time, like Mm -hmm. not being able to prioritize themselves and taste like that fear that I'm going to have to give up the foods that I love, that I want to eat that. So I think. If we can make sure that we who are in positions of influence and able to, in healthcare, be able to come up with tools to help people, it goes so much lower. And when I started my journey eight years ago, that was one of the commitments I made. I'm like, 
I'm a foodie, but if I'm really the type of foodie that I say I am, I should be able to make even healthy food taste good and work for Mm. me. And so Mm -hmm. that is, that's my mindset. So I still consider myself a foodie. I still eat delicious foods, but I just have changed what type of foods I eat and how I do them. And yes, making them culturally relevant. I still love, if I'm not going to give up my mom's cassava leaf, I'm just not. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I will, I will put that cassava leaf on some ancient grains instead of white rice, instead of the long grain white rice. I, or I know a lot of people are eating bugger wheat now or bulgur weeds, we would say. So, and then I will, do instead of having a big bowl of rice, which again, listening to your body, I don't feel good if I eat a huge bowl of rice, right? And it makes me tired. It makes me not able to do the things I need to do. It upsets my stomach. So I know my limit. So I can have, you know, maybe a cup and a half and then a little bit of cassava leaf on it and then half a plate of a kale salad. And mm-hmm. and I still feel good afterwards. So I think the listening to your body and the signals it's giving you when you eat things is so important. And this gets to what you said, like that next level of understanding why and then what is your body telling you once you have it. Right. So you said about your cassava leaf and, you know, your plate. The mm-hmm. other day I posted on my social media, I have my Liberian dry rice, mm-hmm. a portion of my plate, but then I also have my salad mm-hmm. on, uh, on the other portion of my plate. And I posted, I was like, I can still eat my cultural food. Mm-hmm. Right. I can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But just that moderation, you know, knowing that I don't have to sit there, like you said, eat a whole big bowl, because that's another thing, you know, in the Liberian culture, mm-hmm. especially our men, we they mm-hmm. get the biggest bowl. Right. Mm-hmm. And we eat sometimes we eat late. Right. So mm-hmm. that habit. I know I read this book, The Power of Habit. And mm-hmm. if you haven't read it you're listening to this, you need to go and read it. I love that book because it helps you make not just the lifestyle changes, but building habits, you know, healthier habits around the things that you want to, you know, you really want to improve. So I want to talk about the concept of skinny fat, right? Because in the beginning, you mentioned about the people who (laughs) eat whatever they want to eat and, you know, don't seem to pull out the pounds, right? Um, But there is this concept about, Skinny fat, right? You still have the fat around your organs, um, even though your BMI, like we talked about earlier, you know, doesn't meet that numbers. Can you talk a little more about it? Sure. And is it okay if I go back just a second to the what we we're talking about with that big bowl of rice and mm-hmm. culture and everything, and then I'll come to skinny fat. But I wanted to say along those lines is that we have to remember that Eating that food is fuel, right? Food is fuel. And when we were traditionally eating those big things of rice, those big bowls of rice, that was when you're living back home and there wasn't McDonald's on every corner. (laughs) There wasn't a grocery store right there. Like you couldn't just (laughs) stop. So it was very practical to have your big cold bowl in the morning and then have the (laughs) one at night. But you're not... (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Like, let me tell you, 
I'm like, okay, so when I tra- went to Liberia for the first time, I went to Liberia for the first time in 2007. Uh-huh. So, you know, that was just after the Civil War. I mean, literally, you could still find right. um, shell casings on the ground. It was really tough then. And so the first week I was there, like my dad's family, you know, they were like treating me like the American princess. They were making me <laughs> eggs and, and potatoes and all these things. Right. So then by the second week, but then I was going to Fendel campus to like okay. work and Fendel mm-hmm. back then it had not been redone. So Fendel for people who know is the University of Liberia, LU, and it's out of the main city. So there was nothing there. There's like one little cook shop, this woman making roasted cassava or something like that look made real sketch you know what i'm saying so first week i was like i'm not eating there <laughs> so but let me tell you by the second week i was like uh i was looking at their cobo i was like i want dry rice for breakfast <laughs> because it's practical like this is why we ate that big rice because you're not going to eat again until you come home right there was mm-hmm. nothing so it made sense to eat like that and that's why obesity wasn't such a big issue for us back then. You're going on the farm, you're walking around, you're out mm-hmm. in that sun, but it's it doesn't work for this society. So that's why you have to rechange and rethink how you do that. And like you said, changing the habit around it. So yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So now skinny fat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. skinny fat so i actually wrote an article on this um it's on my page on one of the features but it basically what we call it, it, it the official medical term is sarcopenic obesity so meaning that you have low muscle sarco is muscle so um low muscle and high fat and so in in this condition like you said your bmi may be normal So you're technically at a normal weight. But again, this is why I say where the fat is and how much fat you have is important. And that's why we can't just look at that one number on the scale or just look at the BMI chart. And so just like you said, when you have too much fat around the organs or and it's you have more than 32 percent for women, 25 percent for men or a waist circumference of greater than 35 for women, 35 inches or 40 inches for men is going to put you at risk for the same diseases that we see for someone who may have a high BMI. So insulin resistance, also metabolic syndrome, which is a constellation of having high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and then also having insulin resistance or your body not processing glucose well heart disease, all of that is associated with it. So this is why going back to the original point that I made, how do you know if you're thick or not, or if you're thin, rather than just looking or just even looking at just the number on the scale or just the BMI, it's important to say, okay, what is the total, where's the fat, how much fat is there? And then what are, what else is going on in your lifestyle? Are you living a healthy lifestyle or one that's going to produce better metabolic outcomes? So thank you again for being on the show. What One of the things I like to do is uh, before we wrap up, just if the audience can take away three things, right? And put it in the two kit. What are the three things will you want them to take away from this? Yeah. So thank you so much again for having me and for this discussion. It's so important for us to have it. If I they could take away three things, stop focusing on what they do, what everybody else around you does 
and embrace you. Focus on yourself. (laughs) And I think that is the first and foremost place to start. And with that focus, number one, really take a deep dive and say, okay, how am I talking to myself? How am I treating myself? Is it, am I making decisions based out of love or am I making decisions based out of fear and negativity? So am I making decisions based out of love and positivity or fear and negativity? Because that love and positivity are going to take you a lot further than them. Then very practically, I would say, look at all, it can be overwhelming when you're starting to make these changes. You're like, what do I do? Where do I start first? I would honestly say, start with what is easiest for you. Oftentimes people start with what's the hardest thing to do and then nothing gets done. So if the easiest thing for you to do is to start drinking more water, go ahead, start drinking more water. If the easiest thing for you to do is to cut down on the sugar or honey or brown sugar, all that stuff that you're putting in your coffee or your tea, go ahead and do that. If the easiest thing to do is to cut your rice bowl in half, said no one, like then that's what I want you to <laughs> to go ahead and do or to eat an hour earlier. So start with the easiest thing that that is for you to do. And then I would honestly say, make that appointment with your doctor, with the healthcare provider and know your numbers, know where you stand. A lot of times our people like wait till they're sick to actually go get an in um, to get an individual, but prevention is better than cure. So go ahead and make that appointment. Reach out to a professional to help you on your journey. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And again, if you want to work with Dr. Bowley, you can find her on www.embraceyouwithlust.com. And don't forget to check out her book, Embrace You. If you are anywhere on your health and wellness journey, it's a resource that can actually help you on this journey. So thanks, Dr. Bully. Thank you. It was my pleasure and congrats to you. All right, guys. So our next guest on the next episode is somebody I can stay here and talk about forever. This is somebody I grew up with and to see the person she's becoming into the personal trainer and the fitness and wellness coach that she is, is amazing. This is somebody I grew up with. I've known almost all my entire life. And I'm so excited to be able to have her on the next episode. So come back so you can hear all the scoops and everything. But more importantly, like she just gave that practical steps and things that you can actually do to improve your physical activity. So come back next episode. Thanks for tuning into the whole Ben show today. We hope that you found value in today's episode and that it inspired you to live a more balanced and healthy life. Remember, we're here to help you balance your mind, nourish your body, and elevate your spirit one episode at a time. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on social media at journey underscore TWBS. Journey is spelled J-O-U-R-N-I-Y. We know wellness is a journey, but we also know that it needs to be inclusive. That's why we spell journey with an I. So go ahead, follow us, subscribe, 
and leave us a feedback because that's how we know to produce content that will be valuable to you.